people misuse the crap out of literally and they're like oh he he literally had him eating out of his hand it's like no he didn't he figuratively had him eating out of his hand but last year the whatever Marion Webster added an additional definition to literally to mean figuratively so now it literally means the sum total of everything that it means and everything that it doesn't mean <laughs> Welcome to episode 32 of Acquired, the podcast where we talk about technology acquisitions and IPOs. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we are your hosts. Today's episode is the Super Bowl for our world, the Snapchat IPO. It's been long awaited, highly speculated, and everybody's got an opinion. And uh, they are not all the same. So we are recording right now on Friday, March 3rd, exactly... 21 hours after trading originally started. Uh, trading is underway for, for day two, and uh, hopefully we should be able to get this out to you guys by uh, probably tomorrow uh, over the weekend and, uh, and get some pseudo real-time discussion going here on Snapchat. All right. Well, David, this is the perfect time to talk about one of our favorite companies, Statsig. Yes. When we had VJ on ACQ2 earlier this year, they were Already a pretty impressive kind of Series B stage startup with a killer team and early product market fit. But what's happened since and the scale that they're operating at now is pretty wild. This is where we get lucky in being very choosy with our sponsors. Sometimes these things happen to them while we're mid-flight. Yes. So I asked them for some fun stats. In the past month, Statsig shipped actual live product experiments to over 1.2 billion end users. Now, that stat is not deduplicated across apps, so there's some overlap. But I mean, even if you cut that in half to approximate actual flesh and blood human people out there, that's almost 10% of the world's population. Crazy. Okay, so that's one. Two, Statsig now processes about 130 billion events per day. So the infrastructure that Statsig now has to support these data volumes is pretty wild. And it's not like they just execute these events. They then take all the data from them, run huge statistical jobs across the whole corpus to compute the experiment results that their customers are running. It is just wild. It's funny, I hadn't thought to make this comparison until right now. So you said 1.7 million events a second. If you look at the visa numbers, I just pulled up my visa notes, Visa does 8,600 transactions per second. So that's, what, 200 times as much throughput at Statsig than at Visa? On the customer side, Statsig added arguably almost all of the most important AI companies in the world this year, including Microsoft, Atlassian, Anthropic, along, of course, with regular old companies like Notion and UiPath and Lattice and Brex and friends of the show Rec Room. The team also kept shipping super fast. At the start of the year, they had just one core product. Today, they're a full-fledged product understanding platform. They have dedicated feature flagging, warehouse native experimentation, and product analytics. Yep. So if your team wants the best platform in the world for making data-driven product decisions, you should reach out. Statsig.com slash acquired. And as always, there is special white glove onboarding for all acquired listeners. Our huge thanks to Statsig. All right, listeners. So as you know, we, we also like to try uh, new things on the show. 
And uh, we have a little bit of a format switch today, which we'll tell you about. Um, one thing that I wanted to try is uh, is reading some of our iTunes review here on uh, on Acquired. So when you guys leave one that we think is particularly worth reading on the air or funny or, uh, I don't know, extra complimentary or something, uh, we're going to read them. Kind of like the Bill Simmons mailbag, but uh, for, for iTunes reviews. So uh, here's one. They aren't scalpers that want to create fake problems or to short a stock. Well, thanks, Spencer Camp. We appreciate it. And here's another. It's as if you are reliving the story with them as an insider. From Peach, 1987. That's, uh, thank you. We appreciate that. Ben has been a real trooper here. He was post-surgery and now he's back. Great show. MG, 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 3141. Well, to to whoever knows me personally and knows that I had uh, I had knee surgery last year, uh, thank you, um, MGMG. We really appreciate that. Ben has <laughs> indeed been a trooper. Yeah, thank you, David. But uh, all good You're now, welcome, and ben. Uh, you know, excited to <laughs> yeah, excited to talk snap. So. Um, if you like the show and uh, and want us to read your comment on the air, leave a review on iTunes. And uh, uh, we've also got a Slack. I just looked. We are 475 strong of uh, of people hanging out, talking M&A, IPOs, tech and in general. so much great discussion on the Snap IPO. Oh, my Shout God. Shout out yeah. to everyone in Slack. Yep. Yep. And uh, honestly, there's a lot of good content on this show that came from the discussion yesterday. So, uh, so join us. It's fun. So... Without any further ado, Snapchat. Yeah. David, we were talking about this before the show, but um, we should really only spend a couple minutes, I think, on the history of the company. Yeah. Um, listeners, if you listen to episode 12, a lot of you, I think, have joined us since then, but we uh, we talked about this what-if acquisition where uh, Facebook uh, made a, a $3 billion. Dollar, yes. Yeah, made a $3 billion offer to buy Snapchat back in, uh, shoot, I'm blank. It was the end of 2013, right? uh time runs so right. fast anyway yeah. it was episode 12 for the you know as, as ben mentioned we're not going to cover the um the sort of all the story and drama around the founding of snap of snap uh which was then snapchat in the early years here but uh go listen to that episode i listened to it again yesterday to get prepped and um if i do say so myself uh, i actually think it it held a, it's held up really well even though the show has evolved a lot since then um <laughs> it's a good episode we recommend it yeah that was the episode it's funny when you do these things that uh when you do something new for an episode it sort of raises the bar and you can never go back down and that was one of the episodes where david and i did much more research than we had previously done before and kind of set a, a little bit of a new standard standard for ourselves so um you know, yeah. I like that episode. I'm cursing it a little bit, but you know, I I, uh, I also feel like it holds up. So that's sort of the that's part one of the Snapchat story. This is part two, and we uh, will we'll uh, in all likelihood have a part. Three I think or uh, I think the only thing that we know uh, for sure going forward is there will be more parts to this story. It is yes. not over. Um, yes, yes. So with that, uh, we pick up our story um, for for Snapchat. In last we left them. It was fall of 2014, and Evan and Bobby, the plucky co-founders, had fended off the previous year a $3 billion acquisition offer from Facebook. Uh, They'd launched Snapchat Stories. They'd hit 50 million daily active users. Um, They'd just settled 
uh, the famous lawsuit with their ousted co-founder, Reggie Brown, um, that we talked about a lot on the last episode. Interesting that that has like been a total non-narrative in the IPO. Um, I think I saw like one news story about him, but, yeah. um, Hey, it's settled. What's yeah, it talking settled. about? Um, so things are going, uh, pretty well for, uh, for the Snapchat, uh, Snapchat founders, uh, and the company, um, fast forward through the next two years, um, you know, it kind of would have been easy for them to say, Hey, like we're going to ride this gravy chain, but, uh, they have been pretty hard at work since then. They are not resting on their laurels. So since fall of 2014 in rough order, here's kind of what's happened on with Snapchat. Uh, they've launched, uh, discover, which then became publisher stories. They launched lenses. They launched geo filters. They launched a whole ton of new chat features. Um, which are actually pretty cool. Uh, and uh, I probably use that more than anything else on Snapchat these days. Um, they launched Memories, being able to save snaps. They acquired Bitmoji. They integrated that into Snap. Um, and they launched Spectacles, uh, which we've talked about in, in hot takes in the past. Yeah, um, on, on and top then, of it all, they're now a hardware company. <laughs> yeah, on top of it all, they're a hardware company now. Um, on the business side, uh, they've also been hard at work. Uh, revenue has grown almost 10x over the past year. Um, but they also, this past October, October 2016, they launched their ad API, which was a huge milestone that advertisers can now um, buy ads through partners and through agencies and buy at scale without ever talking to Snap. So huge, um, huge achievement for them. Um, so, you know, I mean, you, you could sort of say that the, uh, the the freight train has been rolling down there in, in Venice Beach in Southern California. Yeah, um, and that, that revenue stat's interesting because in, in late 2014, um, <coughs> that's when they, they made their first dollar of revenue. So it's really only been, you know, just over two years, and, and now they're doing $400 million a year in revenue. And obviously, all, all these multiples that we're going to talk about are are just, you know, absolutely bananas for any sort of comparable stock public market um, uh, stories to that you would tell about it. But in two years to go from uh, not monetizing your user to users at all to doing about 400 million in revenue is uh, is quite the acceleration. Yeah, very impressive. Um, but along the way, there is one thing that happens to foreshadow later in the episode here that we're going to talk much more about later. Um, in the last six months, uh, their user growth has slowed and, um, some say many say that that's a result of something else that happened in, in August, 2016. Uh, and that's Instagram launched Instagram stories. So much more to come on that front later in the show. Um, but an important, very important moment in the last, last year of Snapchat's life, um, but undaunted, uh, they proceeded with their much rumored IPO filing. Uh, almost exactly a month ago, February second, they publicly file their S one, um, and uh, and it's pretty clear when you read this document, kind of right off the bat, um, that this is not your ordinary dry, you know, SEC S <laughs> one filing. Um, you know, others have talked about this, including Ben Thompson. But um, if you haven't gone and read it, like we seriously recommend it this is an incredible document whatever happens with snapchat in the future um you know go read at least the the our business section which starts on page 93 and we'll we'll link to this in the show notes um and we're gonna spend a a lot of time talking about this document 
it's incredibly compelling, concise, clear writing, and you, you the personality of of the company just bleeds through. And I, I think mean, I would, that, I, I would say, I think this is almost. A, I think this might be a watershed moment in thinking about something we've talked a lot about on this show. But like, what is the the tool of going public? Like, you get to write this document and you get to speak directly to this huge audience base that especially for a company like snapchat you know is not currently your core user base and and it's a tool that um clearly the company thought about it and this way and is using it as such yeah and so one like one uh for listeners who haven't read the s1 because why would you go read s1s but dave and i did and the there's there's a point where they talk about how part of snapchat's uh culture and ethos is that they're kind and this is a quote when we say kind, we mean the kind of kindness, sorry, when we say kind, we mean the type of kindness that compels you to let someone know that they have something stuck in their teeth, even though it's this a little awkward. Amazing. Like, could you imagine <laughs> reading that in an S1? Like, um, you know, uh, and even Ben, you know, you said, why would, you know, why would you go read an S1? Like, I really think this is, uh, this is a document worth reading yeah. um, for and, many, and also, many reasons. Also the roadshow video. It's like an incredibly well-produced uh, uh, way that, that Snap really told their story. And I'm not, I'm not totally sure if it's still available because I think they pull those things down after the, uh, um, after the IPO, but there's uh, there's lots of little clips of it floating around, and and it's uh, it's not just your standard you know person standing in a conference room next to a PowerPoint narrating it for a bunch of investment bankers. It's really like a consumer grade uh, compelling story. It's almost like something that came out of Hollywood because <laughs> it did. Um, so uh, we'll uh, we'll get to the actual IPO pricing two days ago in in a minute, but. Um, Sticking on the S1, you know, the most surprising thing I think is is just the nature of this document. But um, but there are two other surprises uh, in the document that um, uh, I think a lot of the uh, investor community wasn't necessarily expecting. Uh, and and the first one is that there's a there's a unique voting structure for uh, the common shares that are being offered in this IPO. Um, and what's unique about it is you don't have a vote. <laughs> so um, this has literally never <laughs> happened before. Uh, you know, companies have gone public with dual class or even three classes of, of share structures that allowed management and, and founders to retain you know, effective voting control of the company. But And, um, and David, those examples are there's, there's Facebook and Google didn't go public this way, but have modified to, to sort of have this uh, I think dual they, class structure? I think they did both go public with those dual class share structures. Okay. And it's something um, they learned from is it the New York Times? Yeah. So historically, a bunch of media companies have had this. News Corp has had it, the New York Times, um, and a bunch of others. It, it was, for whatever reason, it was in vogue with publishers and media companies, you know, at, at some point in the 20th century. Um, yeah. And tech companies have really sort of uh, taken this tool and run with it. But this is like, this is breaking new ground here. So, um, you know, the thing about those other uh, IPOs, Facebook, Google, even the media companies, like um, usually there's a 10 to one voting structure where each share of the founder's stock uh, has, or the CEO's stock has 10 votes to every one of the public stock. Um, and, and, and there's a market for those stocks. So if the founders and CEOs sell the stock, then, um, you know, you can buy that with, with separate voting shares. And that's important because, um, 
you know, not for individuals voting necessarily, but like activist hedge funds, activist hedge funds have made use of this to amass a voting block in a, in a, in a stock, and then use that to agitate, to try and get a, a, a representative elected to the board of directors. It's been a tool they've used. So yeah. snap says, and, and for other reasons too, to, to like the Carl icon, um, has done this with, uh, with Apple and I think with eBay to, to, um, advocate for a, uh, a buyback or a, a, yep. a distribution, uh, more dividends or all yep. sorts of things. Um, and there's a view probably not unjustified that that's really an annoying thing that you want to avoid. Um, but <laughs> you know, this is an extreme case of no, you get no votes, not now, not ever. And, <laughs> and what a, <laughs> what a baller move to, to say like, Hey, you know, we're going to sell, what is it like 19% of this company? Um, you know, and we think at this price point that even with no ability to have any influence, even if all of you get together on the future of this company, it's still going to be oversubscribed. Yeah. And what's crazy is it's not even just, um, there are actually three classes of Snapchat shares. There's what they're selling to the public. You get no votes. There's shares that existing investors, VCs have in the company. They get one vote. And then there's shares that Evan, Evan and Bobby have. Um, and they get 10 votes. And if Evan and Bobby ever sell their shares, um, then they automatically convert to the other <laughs> investor shares. So there is one vote, but, but essentially it's set up such that, you know, if something were to happen to one of them, um, and they've actually filed proxies with each other, um, and this is in the S1, if something happens to one of them, the other gets essentially full voting control in perpetuity of the company. Wow. Wow. crazy yeah. um so that's one and then and then uh the other surprise in there and this actually i'm really surprised that this has not gotten a lot of press um there's this thing i don't know if you saw this ben uh this little thing called the quote ceo award in the s1 no this and is new what, to me what this is i i have never seen this before so evan evan spiegel the ceo of snapchat upon completion of the ceo of the ipo on wednesday he got essentially a bonus of an additional 3% of the company after after the IPO. So he already had a 24% equity share in the company. Um, and, uh, and, and the company essentially you know, gifted him as a bonus for completing the IPO another 3% <laughs> even after the, after the dilution of the IPO. And so at the $17 IPO price, which we'll talk about in a sec, um, that's worth $625 million that the company gave to Evan for and, successfully completing the IPO. Well, that's this an, is, I've never seen this before. That's a weird incentive. Like what? I mean, it'd be interesting to see like when, I guess once you already committed to going public, it sort of makes sense to incentivize well, the what's CEO really more odd than here the company is, to complete you know, I mean, it. Why would his incentives not be aligned? I mean, he owns 24, four percent of the company <laughs> which at the ipo was worth almost four billion dollars um you know but somehow i i would i'm sure it will never come out but uh i would love to know how those negotiations went down um well it's it's uh, him negotiating with the board or with the syndicate I mean, of investors it, taking in public well it must have been everybody um but uh it has not gotten a lot of press and i'm, I'm quite surprised about it um i mean i could imagine a situation if you have an external ceo come into a company and you can incentivize that person by um 
you know, a, a bonus if they successfully complete an IPO. But um, this is where Evan's literally the a founder and along with Bobby, the largest shareholder in the company. Um, very, very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So despite that, uh, on Wednesday, March 1st, two days ago, as we're recording this, um, Snapchat prices its IPO. They price it at $17 a share, which is above the range that they'd indicated of 15 to $16, which is, there's a whole theatrics to this. You but, always but want to price it above the range. And but a good blah, bit blah, below blah. what the sort of murmur on the street was for months before, right? People were thinking more in that, that uh, $20 range. Yep. Um, and, and not that much higher. don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, not that much higher than the share price that they sold uh, equity in their last private round at. Um, but, uh, but regardless, uh, that gives them a $24 billion market cap at pricing. Yep. Um, and which, then yesterday on Thursday, which, yeah, uh, you're right. That, that is an up round from their previous financing, despite talks of that, that 14 to $16 per share range would have been a down round. And that would have been, that would have been kind of crazy because then that would have been bad. Yeah. Yeah. A whole bunch of, uh, you know, recently issued, st- uh, stock options that are actually currently worth less than their, their stock price. So that if, if that had been the case, then there would have been a lot of, uh, finger crossing that the, the stock did pop and that by the time employees could sell at their, their lock, uh, that when the lockup time ended, that it would actually be above the initial strike price of, uh, of their option grant. But, um, none of that's an issue. It actually did price above their last round. It and, did uh, price above and, um, uh, like we said, at a $24 billion market cap at pricing, opens trading yesterday, uh, and uh, the market likes it. So 44% pop on the first day of trading, closed the first day at $24.48. Um, almost over 200 million shares were traded, uh, which is a lot. Um, and uh, <clears throat> and the value, the market cap, uh, the valuation of the company at the end of the day, $34 billion. And then this morning, Friday morning, um, the market continues to like it. Uh, it's up another almost 20% trading in the kind of $29 range. So, um, so far, uh, a successful IPO. We have not had any Facebook like disasters. <laughs> no. And they did take longer to, uh, to start trading yesterday, but that was by no means because of a, uh, uh, you know, technical hiccup like, uh, like with Facebook, but, um, you know, because actually the, uh, despite the fact that the IPO price was $17 started trading immediately at, at $24. So, um, you know, the, the, the trade-offs there, when you look at who won and who lost, Snap left a good amount of money on the table, about a billion dollars on the table by not uh, um, by not initially setting it in that twenty three twenty four dollar range. Uh, Snap's syndicate of investors that uh, uh, or, or bankers that took them public didn't get their their cut of that that billion dollars, but everyone that bought the IPO at seventeen got to take advantage of that uh, that short term bump. And uh, and realistically, when we'll we'll talk about this as we grade the uh, the IPO, but um, this this all really accrues as as value to Snap because in getting this positive momentum, it's great for hiring, it's great for customers, it's great for the story around the company that they uh, they went out and, oh, and the amount the of buzz pop. has been huge, and, yeah. and that this you know by all indications thus far has been a quite successful IPO um, is going to be great for the company. But that said, you know, we're talking, this is a lot of mechanics here. Uh, Me- mechanics and, even, and one day in. <laughs> and one day in. And um, even though we're, we're lauding the S1, it is still pretty 
uh, a lot of it is pretty dry stuff. You know, what we want to spend the bulk of this episode talking about, um, and the really interesting thing to think about is like, okay, you know, what, what happens next? There's all this buzz out there right now. Uh, people have all sorts of different opinions about, you know, Snap is doomed, Instagram's going to kill them, or, or Evan Spiegel's a once-in-a-generation, you know, product genius. You know, where does the truth lie? Um, and so that's what, what Ben and I have been thinking about over this past week. And we thought, um, we thought we're going to, the best way to do this is we're going to introduce a new section to the show that we might use for IPOs going forward. And we're going to call this narratives. Um, and, uh, and our, our idea is that, um, there are really two narratives that are being told throughout an IPO. There's the, an IPO process. There's the narrative that the company wants to tell through their S1, through their roadshow, um, and, uh, and, um, all of the, the statements that they get to make, uh, both written and, and otherwise. And then there's the narrative that pops up around it in the media, in the investor uh, community, in the tech community, everybody reacting to what's happening. And so we thought we distilled what we think are kind of the, the three uh, most important points of both the narrative that Snap has been trying to tell over the past month and the narrative that the media and the investor press uh, has been telling. Um, and we're going to talk about each of them and uh, and sort of judge how much we agree or disagree with them. We are so so um, so. Let's start with Snap. You know, you read the uh, the S one, you watch the Roadshow video, and what immediately pops out, and this got tons of press. Um, but I think it was just a brilliant way of positioning um, that the company took. You know, they say you read it and it says we are a camera company. They don't say we're a mobile company. They don't say we're an app company. They don't say we're a social network. Snap is a camera company. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Ben? And, I mean, uh, the the first thing that came to mind, I, I'm I'm like reading a lot of the S1 cynically. So the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, I see. They don't want to be comped against Twitter. That yep. that makes sense. But the interesting thing is you start to read more and more and more, and, and this is my my biggest takeaway from this whole thing based on the insane, like, let, let, let me just give a quick, like, uh, Snap at their $33 billion market cap is trading at about 80 times their sales. Uh, Facebook IPO'd at like 28 times their sales. Even Twitter was like 56. We're, we're just in like off the charts territory for what their market cap is relative to the the, the revenue that they're doing. And when you when you start to peel apart, like, why are they saying they're a camera company? The big thing that that stands out here is that they don't want investors to buy this IPO based on the product right now, the 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 social graph right now, um, the 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 growth rates in the last six months. Like they don't want to be priced on any of that. They want you to believe that they've done these incredible innovative things transforming what we think of as a camera and what we use cameras for and they want you to buy on the idea and and hold on the idea that they're going to continue to do that and reinvent the camera for the future and that they you know in, in typical Evan Spiegel Snapchat fashion um they're they're unique and they believe that they are indeed a, a different and new type of company. They're going to do things their own way. And like, who are you to, to 
say what kind of company this is. They're a camera company and you don't even know what a modern camera company looks like. <laughs> well, this is what, um, you know, when I say this is brilliant, um, it's just, uh, it's such an unexpected and audacious statement to put out there that it, it captivates you. And, and then when you read through the S1 and you watch the roadshow video, um, it's very compelling how they present it. You know, the, um, sort of, you know, famously at this point, the first, you know, user manual for how to use Snapchat is, is the S1. And, and they go through and just really exquisite detail about all the product thinking, um, that has gone into how they've created Snapchat. But what it does, you know, and this is what I said when I, uh, when I introduced this, what, what it does by positioning it as a camera company is it completely draws attention away from, um, what heretofore and still is the narrative on the media investor and tech side of the aisle here about Snapchat, which is that they are a social network, which is competing with the social network, which is Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. Yeah. The other two things I want to say quickly about this idea and positioning of, of Snap as a camera company is one, it makes lenses um, really interesting. So lenses, you know, obviously it, it evokes a camera, um, but lenses are the one sort of piece product feature that Snapchat has that Instagram doesn't yet. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, you read through the S1 and I was, I was thinking like, okay, well, like how, how many people actually use lenses? Um, and apparently, uh, a third of Snapchat users use lenses every day. Um, and that's what, you know, and you read through and all the technology investments and infrastructure investments that Snap is making, a lot of that is going into, um, the technology powering lenses, which starts to make you think about um, the next generation after mobile and, and augmented reality. And then of course their spectacles, um, you know, is snap kind of setting up um, using the IPO and their S one to set themselves up as uh, being positioned for the next wave in tech and putting a stake in the ground that they believe that's going to be augmented reality. Oh man. Yeah. And it's super interesting to think about, you know, when they say, uh, you know, Snap is a camera company. Well, like Kodak was a camera company. And then like today, like is, is Apple a camera company or, yep. you know, Sony and Samsung make the actual, the, the, the actual, actual lenses that go in there. So are, are they the number one camera, quote unquote, camera manufacturer in the world? And, you know, I'd be a little bit more skeptical of Snap saying they're a camera company and except that they have, they actually do the full stack in making the hardware now of, of, uh, of spectacles. And, and realistically, those are probably, uh, OEM'd in by, um, uh, by the same folks that, that make the actual lenses and actual sensors that are in, in smartphones. But as you continue to extrapolate that, um, so let's look at Apple as a camera company. We, uh, we crossed over from, um, from like pure optics based cameras into hybrid optics and software based cameras, like several years ago in the smartphone generation, there's with such tiny little lenses and sensors and they're, they're so close to each other. There's not a lot of like actual physics that, that would produce 
um, high quality images and we have to like do a lot of really tricky faking and, and kind of like post-production and software that the user is never exposed to. And that's suddenly with, with the iPhone 7 Plus become extremely uh, uh, visible with, with the fact yep. that there's two lenses. Um, there's a, the, they never expose the fact that you're switching from wide to telephoto. There's just this like you know, smooth slider into 2x. And the thing that it's really doing there is like it's always in real time compositing a, a, a mashup of, of the two lenses and, and doing a lot of really advanced computation on the fly, not just for portrait mode, but always to be taking advantage of, of both of those lenses. And so and, and I think that that's actually a great analogy to what lenses in Snapchat are doing, right? Like yep. that is augmented reality. Um, and that requires a lot of processing power and, and augmented reality thus far in virtual reality have been these really clunky things that nobody wants that cost a lot of money that it's unclear what you do with them, you know? Um, but Snapchat just makes that really easy. Uh, it's just all behind the scenes. And as we learned, we'll talk about this in a minute. Um, it's costing them a lot in hosting fees and technology resources to be able to do that. Yeah, totally. So the, to close on that one, I think when they say they're a camera company, uh, the world has moved to a place now where a camera is not just a physical thing. A camera is a full hardware software services stack. And that starts when you think about what a quote unquote camera is that way. And the, the fact that maybe it's a hardware software services network stack that starts to lend a lot more credibility to oh i see snapchat is really the full stack of the modern camera yep should we go on to number two yeah let's do it so the the second uh uh main point in snap's narrative that they'd like you to believe is that they are a brand advertising business which is fundamentally different than the gigantic elephant in the room major uh major ad networks on the internet right now of facebook and google and what they're really saying there is we are attacking tv not print media and for anyone who's um, who hasn't played around with the the Snap ad platform versus Facebook or Google's ad platforms, um, on Facebook and Google you can do pretty incredible targeting, and you get to really finally uh, get extremely granular on what type of demographics you're you're reaching. And you also, you know, like when you're when you're using Google remarketing and things like that, like you can you can track people around the web, and you can do all sorts of things. Snapchat is this super like um, at least right now privacy first. We are not going to give you incredible targeting. You you buy big, broad swaths like you would a television commercial, and and you just reach a bunch of people. So they're yep. fundamentally you know driving for scale there, the way that you need scale for for brand advertising businesses. And the other thing is that you can't really uh, uh, like click through a Snapchat. Um, there's, there's no way with those Snapchat ads to, you know, land on someone's site and have them optimize conversion rates and all these things. In the same way that Google and and Facebook with their app install platform, like are like, (laughs) that's what they are. (laughs) Totally. It's, it's, it's like conversion machines. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like, here's a new Chevy. Think about Chevy a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and there's just like, there are a couple really, really important points here. Um, you know, one snap is making the argument here um, that as Ben said, you know, they are going after TV after television. Um, they are not going after, you know, in a lot of ways, um, the internet advertising to this point has been a reinvention of kind of the classified ad, you know, um, the, the direct response, um, TV has persisted, but TV is, is, is not measurable, uh, in anywhere near the same degree that traditional online advertising is 
Um, and it, and it's smaller. Like the the number of people in the U.S. who watch TV um, is large, but relative to the number of people who use Google, who use Facebook, you know, et cetera, like it's much smaller. But what TV has that Facebook that Google don't is engagement, and the whole. Snap's whole narrative around this is we have engagement. Yes, we're smaller than Facebook. Yes, we're smaller than Instagram. Yes, we're even smaller than Twitter. Um, but they make uh, they make go to great lengths in the S one talking about you know the average Snapchat user opens the app eighteen times a day. This is on average for um, what, twenty to twenty five minutes. Twenty five to thirty minutes in 30, Snapchat yeah. every day, um, and and. They argue that that is the same level of engagement that uh, television has historically seen. Yeah, and we should call out that uh, despite the fact that there's way more uh, time spent in front of a, a, a screen, be it desktop or uh, a phone screen interacting with apps in the web than, uh, than there is on TV, that sort of happened a while ago where people are spending more, t- more time on the internet than they are in front of a TV. But until 2017, this is the first year that this is actually going to happen, uh, the ad spend has totally lagged it. So the the ad spend on television has has outpaced digital ad spend, and finally we're gonna um, have this catch up where the the dollars are five to ten years behind the switch in uh, in engagement. So Snap is is I think they even say this in their roadshow video and possibly their S one that they they really have a tailwind here of you know the 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 dollar spend from from advertisers is th- they're looking for a place in a, a digital format because that's where all the ad buying is shifting because that's where all the attention and engagement is. And they're looking to buy the sorts of, you know, incredibly broad Coca-Cola style blanket the entire world with advertising um, for, for their brand. And they're, they're looking to, they're looking for a place to deploy those dollars in, in, a, in the produce the effect that they're used to spending. And brand advertising is just, it, it, I actually don't know the numbers, but it's it's significantly larger than this direct response advertising that's dominated the web to date. Yep, and um, and so then uh, let's jump to the to the third uh, the third piece critical piece we we see in in Snap's narrative, um, which is really the um, you know taking one you know we are this revolutionary camera company we are not what you think we are we're a new vision. Um, and we're going after this market that is very different from what other internet companies have gone after before. Um, the reason we're, we're able to do this is that our, our founder, co-founder and CEO, Evan Spiegel is a once in a generation product genius. <laughs> and this has been a, uh, a narrative around snap for a long time. Um, actually, you know, again, to, to plug our, our previous episode, you know, shameless self-promotion here, um, uh, the previous Snapchat chap episode, we actually dive into Evan's history. Um, and he's not just some random kid who dropped out of college to found, you know, another app company. Um, it was pretty clear from his early days at Stanford that he was, he had some very special talent. He talked his way into the D school, which is normally reserved only for graduate students and is probably the most famous design school in the world. David Kelly, who founded the D school and was the founder of IDEO, um, the consulting firm ended up becoming Evan's, um, you know, direct advisor. Um, and Scott Cook, the, the chairman and, and of Intuit and famous, um, you know, Silicon Valley luminary, 
uh, he, um, he met Evan while he was at Stanford. He hired him immediately to help work on a product that he thought was super important into it. You know, he does have a lot of talent yep. and, and that is on display in the S one. I mean, you read the product section and, um, like Ben was saying, I mean, it's some of the most clear thinking, um, really compelling, uh, understanding of users and problems and why snap product, um, why their products are built the way they are. Totally. And it's, it's, we should also call out, they talk about, uh, they don't really t- in the, in the S one talk about Evan Spiegel as the product genius. That's sort of like the, the, the hint, 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 nudge, nudge, and like the way that the media has sort of spun yeah. this, but they talk about, you know, snap is an innovation company and that we as a company have done these things and they, they definitely don't refer to him as like a, a once in a lifetime product genius, but the implication but that's is clearly totally that, what they yeah, want to imply. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that they have an Apple esque secrecy about them, but it is, uh, uh, it would be really interesting. And we'll probably hear this in the ensuing decade from folks that have left Snapchat to, to kind of talk about, you know, how, what is the product development process there? And, uh, and, and how does it, um, uh, you know, how, does it sort of all come from the top or, or are there a lot of trusted lieutenants? And I, I do know from um, just kind of a, talking to a couple of folks there that they do the kind of old school Microsoft style thing of having internal teams that compete. So it's in actually the same way Apple sort of uh, uh, did too with, you know, two different teams working on the iPhone at the same time where, you know, the, a vision is laid out and and there are two people working in secret that don't know what the other person is working on, kind of leading very small teams that are seeing who can who can uh, better fulfill that vision. And often you don't necessarily know that, that there's another person working on the same thing that you're working on. But there's definitely this notion of, you know, what we're doing requires a lot of creativity and a lot of invention and a lot of newness. And that comes from multiple people exploring different incarnations of the same vision. Yep. So that's Snap's narrative here. You know, one, we're a camera company. We're not a social network. Two, we're a brand advertising business. We're attacking TV. We're not attacking Facebook and Google. Um, Three, we as a company and our founder, you know, co-founder Evan, and, and, and actually, you know, if you watch the, the roadshow video, Bobby, Bobby Murphy, the CTO and co-founder is, is super elevated in that as well. Yeah. Um, so it's wrong to say just Evan, um, but Evan and Bobby are, are, you know, this team is once in a generation, you know, we are the next, you know, Apple and Steve jobs here. That's the snap narrative. So let's talk about the investor narrative the and, media and the investor narrative and actually taking, take, taking a quick pause i never even you know we were laying out the structure of this episode and i'm formulating my thoughts i didn't really realize that uh the picture they're they're painting by taking these little um you know it were product innovators and um we respect your privacy and we're a, a camera company and we're not a software like all these things are like we're the next apple like pr- comp us against apple don't comp us against yep. twitter <laughs> Yep, exactly. Um, there's just one problem with that, and that's that Snapchat is a advertising-based business, <laughs> not a consumer products business, yeah. at least today, right um, which is the perfect lead-in into what the slightly more skeptical investor narrative is. Uh, and, and point number one uh, here, which anybody who's been, been following um, you know, the stories will be unsurprising, is hey, Snapchat has a growth problem, a, a user growth problem, and that problem's name is Instagram. Yeah, 
Yeah, and there's a, a pretty interesting um, um, graph of their uh, their user growth that looks a lot like an S curve, like kind of slower in in the beginning of 2014, speeds up. You get a nice steep slope till about uh, what Q2 of 2016, and then you have like three qu- three quarters in a row of kind of like leveling off, and yep. that really aligns uh, kind of coincidentally with. Uh, uh, the, um, the, the launch the, of Instagram stories. Yeah, exactly. And that's what, uh, which Kevin August. Systrom, you know, it says like, Hey, Snapchat invented this format <laughs> and we, we are taking this format and we are bringing it to our network because we, uh, the Facebook universe is the dominant social network. And yeah, Snapchat will tell you they're a camera company, but like, you know you share, you share your pictures with your friends and we are the friends company. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to to give a little bit more context too. So, um, Snapchat has what like 160 million active users, something. something. Uh, so, Snap has 158 million daily, daily active, active users. users. And you know when you when you look at that, it, it totally pales in comparison to uh, to Instagram and and Facebook proper. But the important delineation there is that it's basically domestic versus international. Like there are, Snapchat's got real good saturation in the U.S. They have very, very little adoption in uh, in other countries, and in, and not only do they not have uh, great adoption, but they're not monetizing well elsewhere anywhere. Uh, well, and here's here's where, yes, um, very true, but this is where the rubber really hits the the road. You know, um, in since Instagram launched Instagram Stories to compete much more directly with Snapchat product wise in August, 2016, um, from the quarter before then until now, Instagram has added a hundred million daily active users. They went from 300 million to 400 million in seven months, which is an acceleration of their growth, a huge acceleration. Um, in that same time, Snapchat is flatlined. They added, um, 15 million DAU in the same, in the same period. Um, which is lower growth than they much lower growth than they had earlier than that. So mm. like this is a <laughs> this is not a good narrative for Snap. Yeah, and so then the question is, if you start to think about sort of what each of these companies has uh, going for them, Facebook and Instagram have a structural advantage where they can bide their time and wait and know that they have great teams that that can implement these features in an appropriate way for those platforms and then get those insane 100 million DAU spikes like that by figuring out the right way to incorporate that mechanic into their product. What Snapchat has going for them is they fundamentally believe that, um, or I guess to invest in Snapchat right now, and we can revisit this later in the conclusion, you have to believe that Snapchat can do things that are more innovative and more interesting in a, a product sense for new users then Facebook will be able to leverage their structural advantage in the industry and copy. And so what that sort of comes down to is can cuz I don't think there's necessarily like a time window advantage. Let's say Facebook copies everything 3 months or 6 months after after Snapchat. I don't think that Snapchat's going to have this advantage of like they're going to get out ahead and they're going to yep. they're going to, you know, get enough users in that short window. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the thing that you have to believe is that Snapchat can figure out a thing to do that gets a whole bunch of new daily active users uh 
that Facebook is not in the position to copy, that having that existing network and that those existing products doesn't give them the leverage to, uh, to, you know, keep building these roadblocks for Snapchat. Well, and this for me is really, um, you know, in our, uh, in our episode, uh, that actually is going to come out after this, but that we recorded, um, recorded earlier this week with, with our crossover episode with the internet history podcast coming out next week. Uh, thank you, Brian. That was a blast. Um, but I talked about how in the Uber DD episode we did with Brad Stone, this episode and, and that, that one that's coming out next week really has made me think about competition and moats. Um, and man, does Facebook and, and the Facebook universe, the Facebook app universe, including Instagram, they have this enormous moat. As long if you think about this as a competition between social networks, Facebook is the social network. They have it. It exists. And then you look at who, where is Snapchat's core user base? It's in teens, preteens, and then teens who were building their social graph online for the first time. Mm -hmm. And they could build that on Snap. But Facebook has literally the entire existing world. So Snap can go after the young folks. Um, and that's, you know, they have certainly made inroads and Facebook is definitely paying attention. Um, but Facebook and Instagram have everybody that they can bring. They can bring a, a gun to a knife fight. Yeah. And then that the, I continue to think like, can, it, will, will Snapchat be able to come up with something where that's actually not an advantage where like exactly it, there's imagine like there's a battle in a canyon and there's the you know, incumbent that's got a hundred thousand soldiers that are all blocking the middle of the canyon. Is there something where like, you know, Snapchat can get up on the side of the canyon and and tiptoe along and, and even like waltz past all them and they can't do anything about it because they can't get up the canyon. Like, is there another dimension here other than tons of users that are already using that app on their phone that is just going to completely blindside Facebook? You know, is it, well, is it, I think is it this new is... hardware that they're not on? Is it, it's hard to imagine what these things could be, but the, 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 the dollars into Snapchat, I think have to be a bet that they will figure that out. Yep. And, and I think this is, this gets at the heart of what Snapchat is trying to say, which is we're a camera company <laughs> and to be a, a bull on Snapchat right now, um, you have to believe that they are, um, they are going to basically pivot the market into a dimension that Facebook can't compete with them on. And, and, and they are doing that. Like, you know, they have lenses, um, Facebook and Instagram can't match them on that. <clears throat> the technology is fundamentally better and different, um, with Snapchat. Um, but, but <laughs> when you start thinking, where does that play out? Does that does that lead us into augmented reality? Well, of course, Facebook has Oculus. Um, and, and, but I would also say, you know, they have stumbled a bit. Um, so it, it is a much more even playing field there. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the bet you have to make if you're going to bet on Snapchat right now, that they're going to outrun Facebook into this new paradigm. Yeah. And perhaps, you know, one of the things or actually the criteria that we evaluate if an IPO was successful or not, which we actually we won't be able to fully do on this episode since it's so recent. But what did that capital infusion, in, in this case, the three point four uh, 
uh, $3.4 billion that they raised from selling those shares. Um, what does that capital infusion allow the company to do that they wouldn't yeah. have been able to do otherwise? Like, did they, did they effectively use IPOing as a vehicle to raise capital to go do something new as a, as a company? And, um, maybe it's it's to to do new hardware stuff like maybe it's to figure yep. out what that next front well they've already is. shown you know they think of themselves as a hardware company right right and i think actually now they're selling the, it's it's not just the um vending machines with uh with spectacles i think they sort of quietly stood that up online and you can order them have them shipped now i think that's right um so okay. that's uh yeah oh, we, we we've rattled on that but the, the really quickly to cover um uh, and then wrap up on narratives um there are two other aspects to to the you know the sort of press narrative about snapchat right now um one is that snap has an infrastructure problem um and you know they've uh it came out as part of the ipo that they've agreed to pay google they primarily run on google google cloud engine two billion dollars over the next five years they're also paying Amazon and AWS another billion dollars um, to supplement that with AWS. Um, and as a result of all this spending relative to the still, you know, large and impressive, but um, minor revenue they have compared to Instagram and Facebook, um, Snapchat's actually gross margin negative uh, or was until very recently. So their infrastructure costs were higher than um than the revenue they were making from advertising and that's before even paying any of their payroll costs or their hardware costs yeah and in fact this the losses are so huge this may actually be the first company to file for an ipo that has a cost of revenue alone higher than revenue in the trailing 12 months before ipo i mean their, their <laughs> yeah, costs I mean, are we sort of we've joked on the on the you know uber dd episode about ride sharing going gross margin negative like well snapchat is gross margin negative as well or and was it, until very recently and it's almost entirely due to uh to infrastructure costs i think a second um a second cost there is rev share to uh to publisher partners but um i mean the cost of revenue in 2016 was 452 million dollars so a, a large amount of that i mean if, if if you figure out how much they're paying to to google year over year a lot of that is is for the google cloud infrastructure and i think the way that snap wants you to view this is we are paying a lot of money to stay nimble right now. Like you, you the that um, people that are pushing back on Snap would say, number one, why don't you have your own infrastructure to buy now? Why don't you invest in your own data centers? Number two, how the heck are you using so much compute in Google's data centers? Like why why is it so expensive yep. on a on a compute per user basis? And I think it's it's just you know the the nature of all this really advanced uh, uh, augmented reality stuff that they're doing completely yeah, on the fly. I think it's lenses. Yep. Uh, well, I think it's a combination of lenses and the fact that they are um, delivering and storing just an enormous amount of, of it's not photos, it, it's video uh, yeah. on Snap. Um, I mean, their bandwidth costs are enormous. Yeah, and the, 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 the thing you have to wonder is, uh, and also the thing you had, would have to believe as an investor to want to want to do this is does paying a ton for Google to handle their infrastructure and keep that completely outsourced allow them to try things faster, which is the true kind of in, inherent value of the company is that they can experiment, get things right and roll out really good products quickly. Like, do, do you believe that? And do you believe that 
it's worth all these computationally expensive things that that they're doing on a per user basis because the the cloud costs it's not like those are fixed and that like it'll be amortized by all these users coming on no, like it that scales, scales with linearly users. with users yeah yeah so number one i think you have to say is is it worth it to to be paying that on a per user basis number two uh should they be paying that premium to to keep it outside the company so they can move yep and then so that's the that's the second part of the press narrative and and then the third part is um you know, actually, I think, and, and when you look at how the IPO performed uh, when it, you know, priced above the range and then traded up, uh, you know, had the 44% pop yesterday and is trading up again on day two. I think the third part of the um, world at large narrative is that, yes, despite those problems, um, Snapchat and Evan and Bobby really are fundamental product geniuses um, and they deserve the credit that they are <laughs> lavishing on themselves in the IPO. Um, but, uh, but I think the market has shown over the last two days that they're willing to give Snapchat a pass um, for now, <laughs> but they'd better deliver soon. Uh, yeah, sure. The, I mean, the, the frenzy and the excitement that I'm, I'm, I'm attributing all of the uh, oversubscribed nature of the IPO, the pop in trading, the pop the next day. Like, we just haven't had a, a, a big IPO in tech since Twitter. Like, I think this is really, yep. um, you know, the this is a, a great stat. Fifteen, the fifteen U.S. based tech companies that went public in 2016 raised a total of 1.44 billion dollars, and Snap raised 3.4. Like it was, it was the first yeah, social media. Once. Yeah. The first yep, social media that's, that's IPO true. since 2013 and Twitter. It's the first tech IPO of 2017. There's incredible pent up demand. So I'm going to, I'm going to evaluate the, you know, massive volume of, uh, of, uh, people buying shares at, at, at pent up demand. But I think, but the, I think the rationale the, that you have to believe to buy those shares is that this is a special company. And if you just look at the numbers and you compare it to, <laughs> and if you think it's a social network and you compare it to Facebook and Instagram, um, it's not a special company. It's actually <laughs> a, a pretty bad one by and, the and numbers. Here's, here's the craziest thing too. Like they're, they're gross market margin negative. Uh, we're making bets on the people theoretically coming up with future products that haven't been invented yet. And we're buying on a story. And that to me doesn't sound like an initial public offering. It sounds like a seed deck. Like it sounds like Seriously. if I'm at a venture firm, those are the things <laughs> oh, that I man. look for, like team, uh, like product sensibilities. Like these are the things that I would write a, a you know, one or $2 million check for, for somebody that hasn't built anything yet. Not the yeah, sort of ways yeah. on which I would be evaluating a public security. That's such a good point. And I think... Man, thinking about this this way, I think nothing better encapsulates the <laughs> time in which we're living in tech where an IPO uh, prospectus and process looks like a seed deck and a seed <laughs> process. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, but I that actually, is the reality in which we live today. I'm getting all worked up over here, and I don't. I, I actually, I, I agree with you. Like, but, even but though it, it is it's like a lot this of the company same- was gross margin negative. I want to. I want to just <laughs> highlight this. This company was gross margin negative. That means they were selling dollars for fifty cents uh, <laughs> or ninety cents or whatever 
until like a couple months ago <laughs> and they are now a you know 35 billion plus market cap public company <laughs> yeah and it's it's not just like twitter where they weren't profitable because of their massive operations and then actually twitter never became profitable no no right like going public without being net income positive is is a common thing yeah but going public while being gross margin negative is a very uncommon thing yeah yeah david i uh if you have any dollars to sell me i got uh, i got 50 cents for you and then go go run a business uh, long, off, off that revenue <laughs> <laughs> i am a vc <laughs> anyway so uh, the point of all this we've we've spent a long time on this section and listeners let us know what you think of it but i think what's just so fascinating about this event and this company is you can paint it as snapchat has very effectively as this is the future um, and this is the most compelling, most interesting, you know, company to hit the public markets since Facebook. Um, and that we are riding a very different wave than Facebook. Um, or <laughs> you can paint it as like, this is the beginning of the end here. Um, and, and, and both the moment that we're at right now is just so interesting because there are great arguments on both sides. Yeah. And I think it, <laughs> the, the best way to summarize it is, this is the public market sitting down with Evan Spiegel at a table, looking him in the eye and saying, and Evan saying to, to public investors, do you trust me? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, going back to at the start of the show, you know, Evan getting this, um, this bonus, this huge bonus, you know, almost more than $600 million in, in, in stock grants for a successful IPO, you know, um, it's really coming down to, uh, to that. Yep. Yep, yep. We want to thank our longtime friend of the show, Vanta, the leading trust management platform. Vanta, of course, automates your security reviews and compliance efforts. So frameworks like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, and HIPAA compliance and monitoring. Vanta takes care of these otherwise incredibly time and resource draining efforts for your organization and makes them fast and simple. Yep, Vanta is the perfect example of the quote that we talk about all the time here on Acquired. Jeff Bezos, his idea that a company should only focus on what actually makes your beer taste better, i.e. spend your time and resources only on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and your customers and outsource everything else that doesn't. Every company needs compliance and trust with their vendors and customers. It plays a major role in enabling revenue because customers and partners demand it, but yet it adds zero flavor to your actual product. Vanta takes care of all of it for you. No more spreadsheets, no fragmented tools, no manual reviews to cobble together your security and compliance requirements. It is one single software pane of glass that connects to all of your services via APIs and eliminates countless hours of work for your organization. There are now AI capabilities to make this even more powerful, and they even integrate with over 300 external tools. Plus, they let customers build private integrations with their internal systems. And perhaps most importantly, your security reviews are now real-time instead of static, so you can monitor and share with your customers and partners to give them added confidence. So whether you're a startup or a large enterprise and your company is ready to automate compliance and streamline security reviews like Vanta's 7,000 customers around the globe and go back to making your beer taste better, head on over to vanta.com acquired and just tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to friend of the show, Christina, Vanta's CEO, all acquired listeners get $1,000 of free credit. Vanta.com slash acquired. 
All right. Should we move on quickly to the the rest of the show? Do what would have happened otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, the thing I'm sitting here wondering is, do they have to go out now? Um, could they have continued to fund their operations by what they had in the bank, raising more private money? Um, is it advantageous for them to go out now? would love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, they had no choice. Um, I mean, they were burning money. Um, I think, where did I put the... Uh, I had the numbers in my notes. I don't have them offhand, but I think Snap had, even after the huge amount of money they just raised in the private markets, like less than a year ago, um, they had a, just about a billion dollars in cash on hand, and they burned free cash flow of almost, I believe, $700 million last year. And that's, I'm sure, going to be even larger this year. So, like, they were going to be out of cash <laughs> if they didn't get this capital infusion, one. Um, but two, also, I think, like we've talked about, like, this was their opportunity and this was the time for them to tell their story. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I guess it. the name of the section is what would have happened otherwise. So the, we have to sort of explore other options. Could they have been acquired and who would have acquired them at this point? Um, they're 10 times more valuable than the last time Facebook tried to acquire them. But I mean, for what they dumped on WhatsApp, uh, would they have, let's, let's yeah. say it was even, let's say it's the standard public market, uh, uh, um, 40% premium. Like they, they, I think what was there? They went out at uh, a twenty-four billion dollar uh, market cap. So you know, would uh, what like thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five? Uh, would Facebook have paid that much for them, and would they have accepted it? I, I don't know. I mean, we ended our our last Snapchat episode with, um, you know, I, I was arguing that. Um, we were asking the question, should Facebook have offered more to try and buy Snapchat back in 2013? And um, I argued no, because because just this the vision and the culture of of the culture of Snapchat and their vision of their product is just anathema to what Facebook is. Um, and uh, and and we've seen that play out even more so now. I mean, Facebook, you know, they have Instagram, they have Instagram stories. That's doing great. Instagram's growing faster than ever. Um, why would they pay $35 billion for Snapchat right now? Yeah. You're right. Yeah. 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 They have well, Oculus. Yeah. Yeah. Let me throw out another hypothetical future for you. And this could still happen. So this is not somebody buying Snapchat, but rather the reverse. So we live in a world where Twitter or I'm sorry, Google and Facebook are the the vast majority of of uh, um, social network based advertising that's that's uh, being bought, and they're they're totally eating into all programmatic and display. Also, they're the mega giants, and Facebook gets these economies of scale for their advertisers by uh, adding additional networks into the portal. So they have channeled these advertisers. The advertisers are used to buying ads on Facebook. They buy Instagram and then suddenly, bam, now I can also just upload a different image size and advertise on Instagram too. Mm. So what if Snapchat's way of getting into that competition is starting to aggregate anyone that's left? So, you know, right now, mm. Twitter is is valued at $11 billion. Their, their market cap's $11 billion, And that's probably too high. Like if that was lower, then somebody would probably actually pick them up. But right now they're kind of priced too high for anybody to, to feel good about that purchase. If they continue to topple, 
Snapchat's got new money in the bank. They've got this really, you know, really high uh, market cap where they could do a, a stock deal. Like, what if Snapchat bought Twitter and then enabled advertisers to have a single portal to buy, um, you know, buy advertisements on both platforms and then sort of went on a spree? It feels completely antithetical to me to Snapchat's DNA. And perhaps there actually is no economies of scale since those ad formats are so different. But it sure paints an interesting picture of what could Snapchat start to do with this cash they've just raised and this this concrete, you know, public market validated valuation. Yeah, actually, that's really interesting. Um, I think what an also another interesting question is: what if it's not Twitter, but what if it's um, Fox, or what if it's you know, what <laughs> if it's a a television media company um that snapchat would buy well they've got that relationship with viacom i don't know if that still yep. exists but they were the viacom was uh i think they might have dissolved that but viacom was their channel uh channel sales for a while for all the uh the snapchat ads yeah um i mean and snapchat is they are an la-based company uh you know the chairman of the board is um uh i believe it's is it Michael Litton? I think who was, uh, the Sony, um, entertainment CEO. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that is in, in as, in many ways, um, Hollywood and media and television is as core to Snapchat's DNA as, as Silicon Valley and tech is totally, totally. And the, the one other, before we talk to move into tech themes, and this is probably, this sits right on the border of what would have happened otherwise in tech themes. Uh, is there a, uh, was this the right way for snap to go out and did it get them the right investors so what i mean by that is you know snap's a company that um even more so than any of these other tech companies is going to potentially have a real tough time with these quarterly earnings and if they got themselves a bunch of retail investors that were short term and excited for the pop and got in because there was all this like excitement and demand and they didn't get these long term investors like the, the here's the here's the counter example Amazon was extremely clear in their S1 and and somehow built this incredible investor base who was willing to wait decades for them to start being profitable. Yeah, and, it's that great line that Tom said on on our episode of um, you know, that Jeff always says you get the investors you ask for. Yep, yep. And big question for me here is did Snapchat ask for the right investors? Did they get the right investors and will they be able to stand up to the scrutiny of of quarterly earnings calls? for those investors uh, but here's here's where it comes back though to the beginning of the show you know the investors they got <laughs> what do they not have they have no say in the company whatsoever <laughs> that's right huh um, so does so it matter got, like well i mean it, it matters in the sense that like their share price would like well yes of course they have a say in the share price but snap just raised all this money that they can use to fund all the product development for the next, you know, <laughs> at least couple of years. Um, they have this room to run. Honestly, they just um, raised their, they, they basically raised one they and just a half raised of their, their seed round for, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. For their, uh, for their next wave that they're tackling. Yep. Um, interesting questions. Um, should we move on to tech themes? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so uh we'll be quick here since we spent so much time on and i feel like covered a lot of this on the rest of the show um but for me uh i mean the biggest one here thinking about all this was just um 
you know, what we've talked about so much on this show of waves and technology waves and um, thinking about how Snap very clearly, <clears throat> despite what they're saying in their S1, you know, they started with the mobile wave and they were a social network on mobile. But the future of Snap, if it will be the one that they want, is going to be them riding a very different wave. Um, and I'm just reminded of two things. One, <laughs> the Facebook story and our Facebook IPO episode and how, you know, Facebook was riding the web 2.0 wave and then realized through the IPO process that they needed to paddle over and conquer the mobile wave. Um, and I wonder, um, it seems to me very clear that something similar is going on with snap right now. Yeah. And are they paddling over into the AR wave? Is that what you're, uh, well, whether it's AR or, or, you know, I don't know how yet, how we're going to characterize this wave, but it is, um, it is, uh, well, it's, it's, you know, I think snap says it really well. It's uh, the camera wave, you know, it is, um, when a camera becomes about, uh, inserting technology into the world around you. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Most of my tech themes we've covered, you know, a lot of like winner take all network effects and the the uh, ability to copy well, cord cutting, moving from TV to 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 mobile, uh, ephemerality, how it's the anti Facebook, you can really be yourself. Uh, but the one that we haven't really touched yet is that um, the viral coefficient of Snapchat is different than the more successful social experiences like Facebook, and they're to me the a big risk factor is that their uh key product pro is also potentially their key business con where on facebook mm. and linkedin and twitter like it's a it's a follower grab i am directly incentivized to have a wider audience because the way that you use those platforms is to try to get as much engagement as you can on on those those platforms like it's it's this called social media because it's truly media it's you speaking to an audience and people engage with you but it's more media than communication and with snapchat being more communication and the way i use snapchat is there's like five to ten friends that um i have a uh, that i snap with at all and that happens in kind of a power law distributed way where like and maybe that's not exactly the right mathematical distribution, but like there's one person that I snap with the most, then a few other people that are kind of, and then the rest of those the, those 10 are not that much. And so the reason why I think their product has such high engagement, but like the, the issues that we're talking about are in growth, are the fact that the product itself lends itself really well to engaging a bunch with a very small set of users, which isn't great for um, growing into new markets. So as we start to think about the network effect here, like the fact that there's a ton of people in, in North America using it and some people in other markets using it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to catch on in Belarus because there's nobody in Belarus yep. that has somebody that wants to snap them somewhere else because it's all about these small pockets. And yep. I, I, I would, yeah. It's, um, and it's interesting. You're seeing apps like, um, like snow, which, um, I believe, is Snow part of Line? I think that's uh, the it's the Chinese remember. Snapchat. Um, uh, I think it's 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 either Japanese or, or South Korean. Um, mm. But uh, but but anyway, it is it's it's that it's it's the um, 
you know, Asian Snapchat. Um, it's a really good point. It reminds me of, you know, the Uber versus Airbnb. Like Airbnb has a very clear global network effect. Um, because people travel. You know, Uber, not so much. Um, yeah. Is something similar happening here? Yeah, totally. That was, uh, the, we, we, we talked about that with, uh, with Brad Stone listeners on the, the previous episode. And Brad made this great point that, um, Airbnb actually has a stronger global network effect than Uber does because with Airbnb, you, uh, uh, you know, you're traveling to all these places. You're bringing Airbnb to new places. You're looking for Airbnb in new places. And with Uber, like it, other than the technology being hard, there's not as much of a, a network effect moat because how hard is it really to download whatever the version of Uber is in, an, in another city? And that's why we're seeing all these clones t- get so much traction. Yeah. And maybe I'll, I'll pile on with one more real quick tech theme, but yeah, while we're talking that, that episode with Brad too, was just, it was such a treat to have him on. Um, can't recommend it enough to, to listeners. Um, but, uh, one of the concepts he talked about was that like, uh, there was this idea in ride sharing that raising capital was a moat <laughs> and an advantage. And it turned out <laughs> not to be, um, and looking at Snapchat, like it, it made me think about that as well. Like, um, snap has raised so much money and now with the IPO, even more money. Um, but they're still, you know, <laughs> they were gross margin negative. Um, you know, that hasn't helped them build a great business thus far. Yep. 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 All right. Should we grade it? Cool. All right. Let's grade this sucker. Cool. So, Listeners, we should uh, again clarify that we are grading on the criteria of um, what will this move allow them to do. Like, was the IPO a a good move, and uh, and did the idea of doing this IPO number one was it well executed? Number two, does it does it put them in a good position? And so, um, I have to set aside a lot of my feelings of. Uh, the company in general, like if I feel like um, they're set up for success and uh, they're not way ahead of their skis in terms of um, the, well, actually, I guess they're related because the fact that they're they've got a market cap that is so ahead of of uh, of revenue is uh, is is totally tied into this. But um, I guess the point I'm making is. If they were going to IPO and they needed to IPO, they did it extremely well. Like I am an A on execution on this thing so far, a day in, and yeah. uh, and their ability to raise the capital that they you know fight or flight, do or die needed to raise and do it at least so far really well. And I think that that's an A with like a ridiculous amount of variance. I thought about you know, Dave and I were talking about before the show, like should we even grade it? I mean, I, I think that it's it's too early to tell but um an a on execution an a on the what it sets them up to do in the future staying nimble potentially making interesting acquisitions um i don't know actually how this will help them grow into new markets i think that's still the biggest scariest thing for me but uh in terms of how to go raise money and the way that that best set them up for success this is an a yeah well and i think um the the parallels to our Facebook IPO episode are just so great right now are so perfect and so apt. Um, you know, we graded the Facebook IPO and I think we, I think we gave it two grades, you know, a grade for the actual IPO itself and then a grade for how that event, you know, influenced the trajectory of the company over time. Um, and 
the IPO was terrible, but right. what was what we learned from that story was that experience really made Facebook what it is today. It kind of drove them to much further greatness. Um, and I think I completely agree with you. Like this, um, this IPO was brilliantly executed by snap. You know, they told their story so well and positioned themselves, uh, perfectly. Um, you know, one need only look at how the performance has gone over the last two days. Granted, it's still very early, but versus Facebook's first two days. Um, but the question and the real grade that matters, um, you know, we're going to have to come back for at least, you know, round three, if not four and five down the road on this one. Yep. 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 I totally agree. I almost feel silly for giving it an A. Like there's just so much variance and so much we don't know. But well, um, but I think we we can definitely grade execution on the IPO and no question, this was an A. Yeah. Um, you know, they took there were huge headwinds here with, you know, Instagram stories launching and growth slowing and <laughs> being gross margin negative. Um, and they've spun this this great story about Snap as a camera company, Snap as a brand advertising company, Snap as the most innovative and interesting product company of our generation. Um, and and it's worked really well. Totally. Totally. Before we move on to carve-outs, I have a couple little uh, kind of fun, fun points to note about this IPO. Um, one is that uh, there's a great Chris Saka tweet from yesterday where uh, he points out that he's like, uh, you know, congratulations to Snapchat, but guess who uh, who's not celebrating and, and making a big from this IPO? And uh, he goes, me, the guy that didn't answer this email. And he has this email that he just has unanswered in his inbox from uh, from Bobby in 2013, 2014, 12, 2012. Yeah, yeah, saying, hey, really enjoyed your talk. Would love to have you in the office and chat. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's a reminder of what a crapshoot seed stage investing is. Totally. Um, we'll, we'll put man. a, we'll put a link to that in the, uh, in the show notes. And then, uh, another one is, is really interestingly, so you get this sort of 24 hour window to go and talk publicly about all your financial stuff, um, after your, your IPO, before you start being, um, really held to uh, to all the SEC regulations about what you're disclosing and when. And normally, you see all these these execs taking advantage of this, going on all these different shows and talking to media outlets after on the day of their IPO, drumming up support for it. And like Spiegel and and uh, all the other execs weren't anywhere to be found. They uh, they headed over to Goldman Sachs, which was one of their IPO managers, and it wasn't their lead left because that Morgan Morgan Stanley led the, the IPO, and they hung out there for the day. And they did one example, uh, one interview with the the LA Times to kind of promote um, the the LA startup ecosystem. And it's just like Snapchat going to be Snapchat, you know? They they don't do things the way everyone else does things. I think if if there's one lesson from you know the whole all of Snapchat's story thus far is exactly that. Yep. 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 Cool. Should we move into carveouts? Right. Let's do it. All right. So mine. So listeners for acquired. We have done three episodes this week. We we did the episode with uh, uh, with Brad Stone. We uh, we've got this one, and then shortly hereafter we'll have uh, a, a super cool episode with uh, um, Brian McCullough from the Internet History Podcast as a crossover. So I have I have not been doing as much uh, much reading as I'd like to this week, but I have uh, I did listen to um, Ben Thompson on the Bill Simmons podcast, and I haven't listened to the Bill Simmons podcast in a while. It's so freaking good. Like. 
there's it's largely about sports so if you don't like sports most episodes won't apply to you but uh number one the episode with ben is great he compares uh bill bill has these incredible sports analogies so he compares like twitter twitter is like the milwaukee bucks of tech companies and they have like this great uh, analysis of that <laughs> that's great <laughs> and uh and and it's just so what's uh what's snapchat uh i don't i don't know i don't think they got there so either the Cavs of the warriors or maybe it's the team that will oh, dethrone one so of them a, i don't really know yeah it's uh uh if Instagram and Snapchat, you know, who's the Cavs and who's, who's the Warriors. <laughs> right, right. But that, that episode's great. The Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell was on a few episodes back that was really great. And uh, it, it, he's just such an enjoyable personality to listen to. And I feel like, uh, honestly, David and I, uh, as podcasters, um, are, are always looking for, for who's producing really great content and how they're doing it and things we can add to this show. So I know that I've definitely taken a page from, uh, from Bill's book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mine, uh, I'll do real quick, uh, but it, but it's apt. I started listening to, um, Sun Tzu's The Art of War, uh, this week on audiobook and I finished it cause it's incredibly short, um, which I'd forgotten. I'd read it a long, long time ago. Oh, that's ago, so but, appropriate uh, for Snapchat. So appropriate because as we talked about on the last episode, after, uh, Zuck came down to, came down to LA and I can't remember if it was when he offered to buy Snapchat or when he said, he was, Hey, we're going to launch poke and we're going to crush you. Um, uh, I think it was the first time when he said, yeah, we're going to launch poke. We're going to crush you. Um, <laughs> Evan went out and he bought copies of the art of war and he gave them to each one of his employees. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, but it's such a good book and, 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 uh, um, you know, applicable as, as many people, many, much ink has been spilled to business and so many other things in life. But, um, but the, the coolest thing about it, and I think what, um, you know, doesn't, uh, a lot of people don't appreciate about it is that, um, the, the book is about not fighting and that the idea that the, um, the best victory that you can achieve is, is, a whole victory where you don't destroy the other side, you capture the other side. Mm. Um, and, and that, uh, actually fighting and actually entering, entering into battle is terrible because you're, you know, even if you win, you're, you're damaging what you want to capture. Um, and, and you're sustaining, you know, damage yourself. Um, and I think it's just so apt for when you think about how snap has, played this whole, you know, in the past couple of years really, but, but this whole IPO process, we're not going to fight Facebook directly. Um, you know, we're not a social network. We're a camera company. Like it's got Sun Tzu's fingerprints all over it. <laughs> Love it. It's perfect. This is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies, Crusoe. So Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy, they can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers. Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller. The other element that makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead. Yep. 
Obviously, it's a huge benefit for the environment and for customers on costs since Crusoe doesn't rely on the energy grid. Energy is the second largest cost of running AI after, of course, the price you pay NVIDIA for the chips. And these lower energy costs get passed on to customers. It's super cool that they can put their data centers out there in these remote locations where quote-unquote energy happens, as opposed to the other hyperscalers such as AWS and Google and Azure who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds. Yep. If you, your company, or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusocloud.com slash acquired, that's C-R-U-S-O-E cloud.com slash acquired, or click the link in the show notes. I think that's our show. We, uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we, uh, we love iTunes reviews. Uh, leave us a, a good one and we'll read it on the mailbag next time. Um, it helps us grow the show. It helps us uh, uh, bring on more sponsors, potentially. It helps us bring on better guests. Um, it helps more listeners find us and, and set the flywheel in motion. So we really appreciate that. Any uh, any sharing you want to do, uh, um, Twitter, Facebook, obviously, all those things help. Snapchat, it's actually unclear if it helps since it's unmeasurable. Um, <laughs> uh, join us in the Slack. Uh, go to acquired.fm. It's pretty easy to join. A uh, little sidebar on the right. We... Uh, We have great conversation there. Till next time. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.